0: my guest this week is Adriana Maggs, a writer and producer who's worked on shows as varied as Rookie Blue, Call Me Fitz, Frankie Drake Mysteries, Caught, and Little Dog. She also wrote and directed the 2009 feature film Grown-Up Movie Star, starring Tatiana Maslany, and her new feature, Goalie, starring Mark O'Brien as NHL goalie Terry Sawchuk, opens in Toronto and Vancouver this Friday, March 1st. It's very good, and you should see it. Adriana picked The Adventure of Faustus Bidgood, which is as deep a cut as this podcast has ever tackled. A passion project from brothers Mike and Andy Jones, who worked on it for more than a decade along with their friends from the theatrical troupe CODCO, it stars Andy Jones as a Newfoundland government functionary who escapes into vivid fantasies of romance, revenge, and power, all while potentially enabling the overthrow of the province from within. Released in 1986, it became a classic within eastern Canada, even though it never really got its due from the rest of the country, or the larger world for that matter. And if you've never seen it, you can find the whole thing on YouTube, which I strongly suggest you do. If you don't watch it before listening to this episode, you will have no idea what we're talking about. Guaranteed. This is someone else's movie.
1: I guess it was... probably It's probably one of the movies that surprised me the most uh, when I saw it. I... Um... I've been i i am from Newfoundland, and obviously the avengers of of Big good is a newfoundland movie mm-hmm. and so um um I, I i kind of i've always had a great admiration for that group of storytellers which so Fastest Big good is uh, written and directed by Mike and Andy Jones. Right. And Andy Jones, of course, was a member of Codco with Mary Walsh and Kathy Jones and Greg Malone, etc. And um, and uh, they were a huge influence, I guess, on me growing up. I thought that Codco was a really important sketch comedy troupe. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah. I I'm kind of surprised that they fell by the wayside in a way recently. I mean, it seems like um, Kathy and Mary ended up doing this hour for so yeah, long that yeah. they that CODCO got left behind in a strange way, but I guess uh, when, when Tommy Sexton died, that more or less ended the the troupe, as we know.
1: I guess so, except for I think there were different members of that troupe. Mm. I feel like that troupe... I mean, they were on CBC, I guess, in the late 80s, early 90s, but they mm. existed as a theater troupe for years and years before that.
0: Yeah, uh, um, with Robert Joy involved, which surprised yeah. me, because watching it again, I thought, oh, I... I didn't realize he was part of it. And I. Yeah. Uh, and he's gone off and done, like, people know him as the coroner on CSI or something more he's than that. The coroner on CSI. When
1: I, I was really starstruck by him the most because he was on Desperately Seeking Susan. Oh, that's right. The Madonna movie. Yeah. So it was like, oh, you're the coolest. You are the coolest. Nathan <laughs> <Lander."> <laughs> yeah.
0: And his name is all over the credits on this. It's not just that he appears in it. He. I think he did the music or he arranged the music or something. He's got three yeah. or four credits in the end that.
1: That's right. There's a couple people in the music that are credited with the music. Yeah.
0: And it's just this team effort of really unique, strange eccentricity. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I. It has been literally at least 30 years since I've seen it again. So uh, My first viewing, right. my only viewing was in Toronto somewhere. I don't even remember how I saw it. I think... I think think I saw it at Jackman Hall at the AGO which would put me in the
1: maybe yeah, I feel like it I didn't see it when it first came out mm-hmm. I actually went I, I I well I was a fan, I was a big fan of theirs, but I'm from Cornerbrook not St John's and they were all in St John's oh, okay so they were kind of that crowd was uh famous to me in the way that hollywood people were famous when i was little little i didn't really know the difference i just knew these people were famous
0: sure the coverage would have been
1: massive yeah and they were so brave and edgy and 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 i you know i don't i think that um they were so brave and scathing of the catholic church particularly at the time um that i actually you know that made me realize what art could do and I don't want to say that Codco took down the Catholic Church in Newfoundland, but, you know, the the way that we use humor to question an unquestionable power structure, I'm sure that if you were uh, a Catholic growing up in newfoundland and in you you didn't question the church no matter what and then all of a sudden these people started to say point out the absurd things that you secretly thought but didn't let yourself think so i always think you know i'm sure they chipped away at uh, the catholic church enough so that you know the mount cashel orphanage scandal could have been blown wide open which it hadn't
0: yeah well that sketch the I forget what the title is, but it's something like Catholic Priest Being Friendly the or something.
1: The Father Din, I think, was Andy's yeah. character again.
0: There was, there's a sketch that CBC
1: Band? refused to air, yeah. Yeah,
0: which is out. I've seen it. It's circulated on YouTube. It's been released subsequently. And it's so innocuous now. Yeah. Uh, but I I remember the furor at the time. I remember Andy Jones quitting the show and, did, yeah. and walking away. And um, it's the kind of thing that's really hard to explain now. It's like... Imagine the first time someone implied that Michael Jackson was weird. And now it's just like, it's part of the culture. It's like, oh yeah, he was a weird guy. Now there's a documentary about it. All this other stuff is in the air. But people are still upset about that now. And the CODCO thing is just, it's a non-issue now. Because again, we all just accepted Catholic priests are not to be trusted.
1: Now we do. do, Yeah, yeah. for sure. But at the time,
0: it was like, it was a pearl-clutching moment of terror
1: it was and it was a t- it was a uh, you know i think it was a terrible thing for everyone in the world to have to kind of face that there was something terribly wrong but i think at the time people were allowing their children in- into situations with sure, yeah. with people and to 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 question that maybe uh or definitely was to was to You know, put your salvation at risk or life after death and that is simply what people believed and um, I think sometimes I think I I would say that that comedy troupe, CODCO um, you know gave people another point of view through humor not unlike God Bless Saturday Night Live is trying to do so hard um, you know what I mean or Stephen Colbert or something like that is trying to do so much um to kind of make people realize that they have other options other than Donald Trump yeah,
0: yeah and so you saw the film in the wake of all this knowing that they were controversial or
1: I I, no no I I went to uh, so I I left uh and I went to York University for four years and studied film so I would kind of seen Goddard and Broomwell and stuff like that and my eyes were wide open and I was you know gonna take over the world and blah 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 and all those things that we think when we're that age and um and i came back and uh and this and i watched the adventures of faustus big good and it was everything that good art and bruma were doing and it was surrealism and it was surrealism that i had a huge familiarity with the humor so it was i was cross-eyed at the brilliance of this film
0: of course because it's your idiom Right, like you know,
1: yeah, not
0: just the references, but the sound of it.
1: Oh, yeah, and just the humor is just so perfect and absurd. And I know the world, and 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 then, but it's being set to these incredible images and um, kind of rival timelines and and varied realities and stuff like that. So I was just floored by this film. And the funniest thing is, I actually saw it on a VHS tape that people were passing around, and the ending was cut off. So <laughs> how, okay,
0: because I mean, this movie, like it kind of depends on the cli- like the culmination of all of these things coming together is the whole point of it. But I feel how like far the into
1: piano came down? Are we allowed to do spoilers? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, we, I feel we like we the sort of piano kind of came up. down on uh, on Faust's big goods head, and uh, yeah, and then I didn't know how it ended for a long time. Huh. Until it was on YouTube. it's like
0: another 12 minutes or so, isn't it? <laughs> and those credits are pretty probably. long, so you could go without those.
1: But the, I knew who was in it, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. The dryness of it is something that really struck me this time. It's just, just like, it's not airless, but they really take their time yeah. with the beats. It just plays so, it's, it's a very measured satire, which is something yeah. that's sort of distinctly East Coast to me. You know, people can talk really quickly, but they more often than not are happy taking their time and letting you get to the joke before they deliver it. Almost. Yeah,
1: there, and I, it's true. There's a quietness to that film <laughs> that lets you just think about every moment as it's happening. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, so after that, it was just it's a film I could never ever kind of get off my mind, and um, there's also crazy stories, um. About how long it took to make it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, the the best explanation I heard was that... Um, or Not explanation, but at the time, someone said it was made in 1986, and it was clearly a response to Gilliam's Brazil. Wow. And someone else said, are you <laughs> kidding? We were working on this while he was making his movie. There's just no there's no way it could have come out that quickly. We just it's been forever. It's, it's a Walter Middle thing. They, nine they were, years. Yeah. yeah, they were dropping all the references about how far back it goes. And it does feel like Gilliam's Brazil though. It it's does. A, it's amazing there's this mirror image of bureaucracy and fantasy and
1: They've always had a Monty Python feel yeah, to them. that's
0: probably where it comes from originally.
1: Maybe yeah, that's why it does like that the kind of just Pure mockery of everything that that should be mocked. Really, you know what yeah. I mean?
0: Institutional stuff. Absolutely. I mean, in this one, it's there's an entire. Uh, th- the running gag is that the premier of, of Newfoundland has disappeared. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he does this, which is which is the thing that's established before it even starts, is that the, everyone around them, everyone in the culture, is used to it, to the point where there is a television program with yeah. a desk and a, and logos that's just been. Yes, waiting for the, the next the disappearance premier. yeah and it's just that that's that struck me as such a marvelously layered joke Is that it's not a crisis It just happens We've gone through this before, people We know the drill I, I just, I love that joke
1: Well, and he writes his own riddle So he's, yes. he's fine, the poet premier when, So when we were Everyone who grew up in Newfoundland Is going to remember something called What's in the Telly Teapot And it was it's That's kind of what it was Is that that every day uh, you could, It was a call-in show And every day uh, they would say a riddle What's in the tightly teapot i'm big i'm small and it would just yeah. be this riddle so
0: that's where it comes i didn't realize it was actually
1: i mean i'm saying that's where it comes from because it sounds it's exactly like yeah, the, yeah, kind yeah. of the um cadence to the riddle and people people loved it they were obsessed with it and um so find the poet premier is he he writes a riddle of where he is and then they dispatched the army to go look for him. It was just <laughs> ridiculous. But I think, again, and this is kind of what I love so much about the movie, is when you look at politics right now, mm. today, um, There, it, it's. I sometimes wonder if that movie is kind of saying there are gimmicky politicians and then there are evil politicians. Yeah and he, this movie kind of has both
0: yeah it's the wonks you have to be afraid of because somewhere down in the bowels of government there's a man typing up a master plan yes which, which is what the, the true horror of this film is about in as much as there's any horror at all yeah because um, it's not that kind of movie although the woman does get hit in the head with an axe which is yeah kind of Distressingly, I mean, because the film is made with such mm. a low budget, it's a fantasy sequence, but it lands. It feels very distressing when it happens.
1: Oh, absolutely. Just, yeah, I guess that's technically goes into kind of horror there for a minute. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and that's part of the Walter Mittyness of it all, I suppose, which is a kind of reference that I wouldn't have been comfortable dropping if Ben Stiller hadn't made that movie and brought it back into um, the public parlance. Right. Uh, when they did it, it was what, 40 years after the movie? And I guess it was sort of a comic thing where people just disappear into their imaginations and Brazil had just come out, so it was already primed. Again, perfectly. You mean
1: audiences were ready to, well, to the, go with people them? people
0: understood what was happening. Yeah. Because yeah. it is, I, I read a couple of old reviews I, uh, that I managed to pull up and they were all flight of fancy and wackiness and, and freewheeling. And it's like, yeah, it's all of those things, but it's all structured everything Mm -hmm. that happens every fantasy sequence we see is directly related to at least metaphorically directly related to what's happening
1: in faustus's life and it's hilarious but it's also serious Yeah, (laughs) you know and and this is what because i did i i did cheat and call andy jones because i i did i texted him this morning i was like um i might have made a terrible mistake. (laughs) But I said, I want to talk about, you know, the adventures of Faustus Big Good. I actually said Faustus Big Good, and he texted back correcting me that it was the adventures of Faustus Big Good. So so then I did jump on the phone, and um, and I said to him, I said, because I said, one thing I wonder is, are there two fantasy timelines, or are there three fantasy timelines? Because one of the timelines, which seems real has a fantasy character yep, in it, yep. you know, kind of whispering in his ear. So um, so I, so what he said to me was that actually, um, they, you know, is Faustus in this world fantasizing about Faustus in this world or is right, Faustus yeah. in this world fantasizing about Faustus in this world? And I thought that was so amazing because what it made me realize is faustus in this world is worried about becoming or re-becoming mundane office worker faustus
0: and he's hope or he's hoping to go back to it
1: or like, hoping so he it's, to it's disappear. a melancholy
0: thing he has too much power and he wants to go back i oh now i want to solve this riddle um <laughs> i always i'm always uh leaning towards whenever these things are whenever Uh, a film presents different visions of something with different aesthetics and visual motifs, Mm -hmm. I'm always attracted to the more uh, normal looking one. Just my brain says well, it's in color, it must be real.
1: That's exactly what I thought and, and assumed except for Greg Malone's character yeah, is this appearing,
0: literally big appearing tail. and literally I mean, appearing, disappearing, appearing,
1: disappearing. Worried about his role in it all, he's a very yeah. he's a very neurotic uh, fantasy friend. <laughs> yes,
0: which is great because usually the fantasy, the devil on your shoulder, the angel on your shoulder is totally confident, confident in whatever the plan is.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, so Malone has this. There's that great little moment where he almost falls off the, um, the yeah the edge of the pier and then pops himself to the other side.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and
0: I do. I want that to have been an accident that then they then realized it could have been a bit.
1: I know. Because
0: it could... It, I mean, you could stumble. People do We need do to know, yeah. But And, and it you is,
1: know they're going to be the ones to keep it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And it's the last thing you expect in a fantasy, right, is that the fantasy characters are not, not 100% perfect. on the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but...
1: It's humanizing the fantasy characters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in a way. Oh, and now that you
0: mention it, the black and white Faustus' discomfort with being called Mr President might actually indicate that it's real. There's that moment where she he says, Please don't call me that and she says, Okay, Mr. President, and he's just yeah, exactly. he's trapped in whatever this is. And yeah, yeah if so it was he, a fantasy it would he'd be happier.
1: Yeah, and cool. he's so he I guess he I guess the s- successful like president of the republic of newfoundland mm-hmm. i well I, I think what so essentially i guess there was a revolution uh and he was chosen as the unlikely leader yeah because i think you know and i feel like in this movie anybody can rule newfoundland or anyone can go into politics and yeah. i think that's ultimately what they're saying is that no
0: one seems terribly concerned with who's at the helm right no. as long as the structure is there
1: and 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 just buffoons run the world, and in in a way, and I I don't know if this is what they, but it's kind of like white the white male uh, government power structure is just a bunch of idiots too, just like everybody else, and yeah, we're um, so absolutely
0: I, seeing that now. I mean, it is it's distressingly prescient for a movie made in 1986.
1: Uh, oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I couldn't. I. I. It's like even watching that cause I hadn't watched it, um, you know, until what we're going through now. And that cynicism
0: about government being uh, completely at the will of whoever is the loudest is in this movie. It's. It's. I
1: know from so long ago. Yeah. Then.
0: And what was the landscape then? I mean, was it was Mulroney
1: was. It probably it was. In power. It was, but I feel like what was going like, on i think it was i feel like it was a brian peckford in newfoundland yeah i
0: was gonna say what was the context that this I, came out
1: i of? feel like this has to, a lot to do with newfoundland because we've had amazing government i mean just one thing after another like uh, newfoundland lost responsible government for a while in the depression which is mm-hmm. like was like no you can't you, you can't there's just so much corruption and it was i think richard squires there was a riot he had to run through someone's house and out through someone else's house and there's plaques on the <laughs> on the houses on Bannerman street where oh, that's he just, amazing this I is know. the house
0: where the premier fled through yeah like through, ran which the through and
1: out the other side oh and, my god yeah and i and um this was during the depression so i I don't know. This is how I'm going to just say this, and someone's going to tell me I'm wrong. I believe <laughs> Newfoundland paid off their war debt or made a real effort to pay off a war debt quickly, and uh, and that kind of broke Newfoundland. And there's like a there's a huge merchant class there that really preferred kind of Mother England government anyway. So we basically yeah, but it's it's it was a scandal then, and then we got Joey Smallwood, who you know kind of sold us to Canada for a dollar and, and took away our hydroelectric power and gave it to Quebec and now we buy it back from them. And then there was a cucumber scandal where...
0: I am not aware of it.
1: <laughs> There's a cucumber scandal where Joey Smallwood decided that the solution to the economic problems on the island was greenhouses where we're going to grow cucumbers. That was a complete disaster. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a bad idea. It would. Was it was, a
0: temperature thing? Like an inhospitable climate thing? what brought it down well i
1: guess the green i guess the greenhouses were supposed to make a good climate Mm. i guess i think probably just like i think what we're going to become the big exporter of cucumbers and fish i think it was just kind of just a wild idea (laughs) and then and so yeah so we just we just continue like we continue to have kind of absurdity in our government and um and so I would say it probably maybe had a little bit more to do with what was going on in Newfoundland at the time. But I was I, I was speaking to Andy about um Bob Joyce's character Eddie Petal. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they can blackmail Eddie Petal is because um the the you know his his uh, opponent the uh the uh, oh, yeah. Francis Coombs, the other character, I don't want to get too detailed, <laughs> saw him at a flamenco dance. And even worse than flamenco dancing, heard him say that he was vanc- from Vancouver and oh, that's not right. from Newfoundland.
0: That's the greatest betrayal of all.
1: And that is the worst. Like, you can't do that. And so I was talking to Andy today, and he said it kind of came from the fact that Brian Peckford, a rumor went around that Brian Peckford set his own rabbit Flips, his own rabbit traps, and that made him a real man of the people.
0: Oh, okay, sure.
1: And even Brian Peckford apparently was saying that he actually didn't ever do that, but it was just like he was a man of the people. And then, and 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 he was saying like George Bush, you know, however many years later, they everyone found out he didn't know how much a oh, carton of milk cost. Right. And and so then they all hated him. Not a real person. Not a real person. And then he got. He put on a plaid shirt and drove on a tractor, and everyone's like, "Oh, he is a man of the people. He's a real person, a real person." And, it, and completely forgot that he didn't know how much milk cost. Yeah. So, so he he was saying like th- they were playing with those ideas all this time, and yeah, still true today, uh, more than ever.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean the idea that um, what was the George, when you started talking about George Bush, I was immediately thinking, "Oh yeah, George W. Bush who." bought a ranch in texas so he could be photographed clearing brush and the man is like on the record as being afraid of horses and that that doesn't matter anymore right you just you need an image that your supporters can point at it doesn't matter if anything else about it is real probably the image itself can be
1: yeah because he george was a cheerleader at a university college whatever and i don't know maybe it's harvard i don't really in the northeast
0: yeah oh yeah no and he's like yeah, seeing it reflected in, in Faustus Bidgood thirty three years ago is Means, yeah. yeah, and it's always been there. Like it the, the, always the larger there. cynicism, the idea that you can't trust people in power because they're in power and you're not. Um, I but, know. But the way that it drills down literally into the, the lower ranks and, and shows you these these hapless you know they're not bad people they just don't have the um, the strength to say no. To a request,
1: the politician. Yeah,
0: the... and Faustus himself, who's yeah, you know, he's given things and trusted with information, and just does what he's told more often than not. And, yeah, and that crisis is what seems to be spurring these visions he's having. His sense that he could be doing more.
1: Yeah, and he so and his life is so mundane, and he fantasize, you know, he fantasizes that Mary Walsh's character's in love with them, and she's not, and he fantasizes that he can kill um Maisie really is character even though um she's rude. she bullies him in real life and i just love the bullying too cuz it's i feel like they're just so funny and when they're being mean to him and he's just taking everything and and then um he so then he gets into this relationship with the Francis Fiona Coombs character who has this insane plan that whether it's mental illness and he really believes it or it's real but he believes uh his neighbor was killed by a bag of frozen soup that fell out of a window or fell out of the sky and this has led him to believe that he saw a grid in the sky and he went, you know, just a complete madness of, where if you're standing in this square at this time, yeah. that he would not have got killed with a bag of frozen soup. And, um, so it's just this crazy, crazy, uh, plan that then, yeah, that he gets, he kind of gets Faustus to blackmail the flamenco dancing Vancouver <laughs> Newfoundland denier to, um, to vote for total education, which this plan is called total education, so it it's it's so crazy. But again, is it crazier than space force on the moon? <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, the idea that uh, if you well, I'm right or or an invisible wall that Trump is saying we've already started building when we haven't. Uh, it's yeah. it's all about theater and insistence. And yeah. the grid, I mean, the grid theory is, yeah, you're right. It's it's the kind of thing I can imagine Elon Musk pitching. Sure. As, as the salvation, as, you know, like, and I have de- I I've, I've decided that the grid will save us. And if you're a confident visionary who's already wealthy, then people just listen to whatever it is you're saying.
1: Or, yeah, or a couple people do get a little bit blackmailed. It's like, I really don't want it to come out that I... I'm a Newfoundland denier or a flamenco dancer, so because I won't be seen well in the, you know, it's I guess is that cronyism? I'm going to vote for to Kate. Why not? Yeah. I'll just throw money behind it um, so that I don't lose my status. And, of course, you know, look at us now in the opiate crisis because mm-hmm. of lobbyists and the, you know, meth crisis before that and kind of crazy... Um, how much power corporations have over the government. and again, a movie from that started filming in 1976 or something <laughs> like that uh, was calling it. So. Yeah.
0: Although that almost that makes more sense because the 70s are the place where this would have come from, right the counterculture, the distrust of authority, yeah. post-Nixon, uh, the, 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 the empty charm of Pierre Trudeau that yeah. you know, while invoking oh, the War empty Measures charm? Act and all that. I, mean, no, I suppose no, no. he was very charming but uh, <laughs> now you watch him and you just think he's like he's pulling one over on people It just Pierre I mean yeah uh, Pierre For Trudeau
1: 28 years
0: yeah, yeah yeah but he seemed to have this this oily certainty in his own charisma which apparently is like it's, people say Henry Kissinger is the sexiest man in the room uh, in, in the Nixon years wow right exactly you just don't see it but that's his his famous quote his power is the ultimate aphrodisiac and sure. and Pierre Trudeau who was a very quick-witted and and very charismatic with the grin and everything like he's he's doing a he's doing a thing like it's an it's an act and you can see it now in footage he's also a good politician and he's getting things done and all of those things but he made some choices which are kind of horrible in retrospect um, and i i just sorry the back of my mind i'm just my i'm just picturing people in the UK listening to this episode, it's like, what the hell are these people talking about? Canadian this is the Fellowship? most inside baseball episode of the show, and I love it.
1: <laughs> he did, he did say in the seventies, Pierre Trudeau said the government has no place in people's bedrooms,
0: which is great, and I believe which that. But good. he was also probably cheating on his wife.
1: <laughs> Well, While well, he came up with it, <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. It's like, "Oh, I know how to solve
1: this." Oh, yeah, exactly. But We're going he would be a very liberal country. <laughs>
0: yeah, and and he is in, in a lot of ways. He's an exemplary uh, Canadian politician because he was willing to say things that people didn't want to hear. Yeah. Uh, but also, you invoke the War Measures Act to deal with the FLQ in Quebec, and people are going to die. And my that's... dad was in that. Really,
1: my dad was stationed in Montreal. He's still in the military. Uh, at the time during the October crisis. Yeah. And how
0: did that, like, what was the sense of it? How does he talk about it?
1: We are so
0: off topic. I know we're really off topic. I love it. He says,
1: well, you can cut, you can. Nah, I'm keeping this all
0: (laughs) People have to know.
1: Well, he said, so he was, he was thinking of leaving the military at the time. And he, you know, he was in Montreal. Leonard Cohen was there. He (laughs) was kind of getting swayed by the, you know, the counterculture and how exciting that was. And, um, so so he so he was he was in the air force and he was a pilot but he was put on transportation. Um so he said he did say that he knew that there were worse things planned because he was in charge of like who was coming in. Oh sure yeah. Yeah and he said he was like there was more planned like there were they were organized like a it's, you know full a,
0: martial law push or something.
1: Like that. Maybe he did, He's like really vague about it, so maybe I'm gonna like not even allowed to talk about it. But he, you know, he's he just said there. Were, you know, he knew, and at the time he kind of was. He was very sympathetic to the French because he felt like the government was a bit imperialistic, and he said, um, yeah, that 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 he just knew that there there was a lot more planned, uh, and and it wasn't good. <laughs> so yeah it was interesting and then of course it turned out not to be i mean it was terrible but it wasn't
0: yeah it wasn't as bad as that at least which is good because yeah a civil war in canada in the 1970s would probably have ended the country as we know it i think
1: yeah i know quebecs <laughs> they're they're lucky they're in the middle <laughs> yeah. yeah actually now that you mention it <laughs>
0: With Newfoundland, you could have a literal breakaway republic.
1: Yeah, they didn't care. Which the, is, yeah. They're like, we rode away and left you, left Newfoundland years ago. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Which, again, brings us back to Faustus Biggood and the yeah. idea that you yeah, can create a, a fiefdom uh, if you just have the right pieces of paper and enough people don't read them. Yeah. Like that's, that's the... I think the... If anything, that feels like the element of CODCO... Ringing out like a bell Is the idea that you can't trust Fine print That there's always going to be Some hidden thing And it's not even hidden It says total education It's right there on it
1: Yeah In plain sight Yeah yeah.
0: It's as Orwellian as they come But it's too big to bother reading You know like I just Nobody has time Does Faustus even read it? He just carries it around
1: Yeah I don't even I don't know I don't even know if he reads it
0: It's the Patriot Act 30 years before the Patriot Act Yeah. 25. But yeah.
1: And yeah. And I think, um, I do feel like Newfoundlanders and Andy Jones said this as well is that, is that they've really, really had good government. And so the skepticism of government is really in, you know, in the people. Mm -hmm. So, which is great. Which is good. Um, but also, you know, It doesn't really help us. Look, We forget. And then vote in someone else. Yeah. Two minutes later. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be the savior. Oh, this guy's going to be the savior. I alone can fix. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, It's the thing that happens over and over again with political parties where they just get behind. They they have reservations about people during the leadership race. And then they get behind whoever's in power because, of course, they're going to do that anyway. That's once someone is in charge, you convince yourself that he should be there. Or she. Usually he. And that's the problem. It's... But it's over and over again
1: and it's interesting but it almost is depressing it's almost like i do feel like there's a a strange like cognitive depression that kind of is going on right now because oh i guess like oh that wasn't enough to get him out yeah Uh, that wasn't enough you know what i mean like nothing is enough so um yeah
0: but again if somebody won't be shamed out Then shame doesn't work. You have to you have to actually remove them. Scandal impeachment scandal doesn't work, so impeachment might. But again, Nixon like Nixon resigned because he was about to be impeached. He wanted to save the republic. I don't think Trump has that instinct.
1: It shows character. If you want to know, amazingly enough, and so who knew that we would all be fondly remembering Nixon's character and uh, George Bush's. Capability with words, mm. like it all looks great now. You I know? wonder
0: if Roger Stone's ultimate plan was just to rehabilitate Nixon's image through Trump. He just you know, he famously has Nixon's face tattooed he on has, his back. That's right. Just as weird as it gets.
1: He has his face, has <laughs> and poor Nixon, didn't he like lose to JFK because he wasn't that handsome. Telegenic,
0: yeah. Well, he's sweated yeah, He was sweating on camera in sixty, in nineteen sixty, which
1: sure he was. Of course he was. Yeah, that's really amazing. I wonder what made Roger Stone decide to do that. He—I wonder if he's going to get Donald Trump on the other shoulder <laughs> <made. laughs> in prison. He's dead center. <laughs> Trump would have to be on his chest on the
0: front. And nobody, uh. nobody wants that. Uh, Trump probably does. I mean, I don't
1: know. I don't know. We—I don't know if we know what Roger Stone wants. I. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, there is that too. Like they're watching this stuff unfold. How oh, he. Um, I read just a couple of pieces of his testimony in front of the judge the other day where he was called out for uh, using Instagram to target the judge with the crosshairs uh, in his own case. And he said, oh, I didn't do that. Someone else did. Then five minutes later came around to, well, I selected the image, but it was presented to me by a bunch of people. And he just... He didn't
1: know there were crosshairs.
0: Yeah. I don't think he's smart enough. I I think all of the, the, the... the thing that's in Faustus Bidgood that surprises me that doesn't feel dated is that the people involved in in politics are smarter than they should be now. Like if you were making this movie now, the premier isn't smart enough to to draft poems. He wouldn't. Like he wouldn't <laughs> he can't be write. artful enough. It would be roses are red, violets are blue. I'm not here. Where are you? Something like really dumb, bad poetry, and the 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 level of commitment and, and artism, uh, artistic, uh, the level of artistic intent that goes into crafting these riddles isn't possible now in our political landscape.
1: But that, yeah, there's something smart. I, I mean, there's obviously, as we see in Versus Big good, a game. And there are the people that can master it and play it so there's got to be some like it's like street smart book smart and then politics smart and there you know there has to be something a playbook I feel like Roger Stone maybe gave that playbook to Donald Trump you know what I mean like just deny 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 and um, yeah maybe that's
0: it it's not a playbook it's one move
1: that nobody else is
0: prepared to, to counter Exactly. You know. Yeah. Have you ever considered that the best way to play chess is to simply stab your opponent in the neck? You don't actually have to move the pieces. When you think about it, I mean, just just take him
1: down. Yeah. Just just bring a knife. No one will see that. Or coming. use the queen. <laughs> that's true. The queen's pointy. through the eye. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this is where. But this is where
0: we are, and yeah. and <laughs> that that's almost something that you could pull off on reality television, maybe, uh, but. Hopefully not in politics because they have people for that. <laughs> yeah, this is where it is now that we're actually uh, starting to understand that the people who are the most successful are the ones who don't know what they're doing. Yeah, because it doesn't stop them, right? It's Dunning Kruger, the the idea that people are people who are unqualified for something don't understand that they're unqualified for it because they lack the understanding, they lack the knowledge.
1: It's funny. I rem- I remember. I was living in Dundas, and there was a woman, I believe, running for the NDP, mm-hmm. and it came at that she didn't know what Auschwitz was. Maybe she would had posted something inappropriate, oh, I can't even remember.
0: I almost remember that. I, I mean, I do, I remember something about that.
1: I'm like, oh, hang on, I'm like, I would never, ever think I was smart enough, ever, to to run for politics i like had to be a politician ever i would never think of i i was capable of running a city or a province or the world and and i know what we're we i know yeah. so so what is like what is it what is it that makes this woman think that this is a good idea it must be that you know it must be kind of a Uh, You don't know what you don't know, so you just have this blind confidence going forward, which you don't think is blind confidence because (laughs) you
0: don't understand what you're blind to. Yeah, maybe. Oh God, I don't want (sighs) to. I I have I have offered to help with political campaigns. I have offered to provide zingers where necessary. I spoke at a rally against Rob Ford once because they invited me, and I'm like, Yeah, sure, why not? That sounds great, and it was terrifying. But that is the ceiling of my capability my competence. I would love to do more. I shouldn't because I know myself. Yeah. And You're that's like, it, like right? the self-doubt is the thing that should stop most people going into politics and now
1: or any kind of skeletons in your closet apparently.
0: Sure. But if you've always gotten away with it and you've always bought them off, this is easy enough, right? Like just right. well, they're not going to find out now.
1: At least we're seeing politics at its worst and hopefully there's nowhere to go but up. Yeah,
0: we think this is its worst, right? I know. That's the thing that that worries me that the next person who comes along will be smart enough to take advantage of these things as opposed to flailing around the way Fords and and Trump's do. Just, yeah. You know, they don't have a plan. They they exist in opposition. They just want to yell about stuff and have people applaud. And then they get in trouble and they have to get out of it. And the next, like if once, I I just assume Mike Pence would have poisoned Trump by now and gone on to be president. And he's the one that worries me because he won't violate the Constitution; he'll just change it, so he doesn't have to violate it.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what everyone says. is like we if he, Trump is if Trump gets impeached, then we've got conversion therapy guy yeah. in there who just sits there like a kind of stone behind Donald Trump and never ever talks and it's just like, what is going on in his head? He's the most terrifying man I've ever seen. He's the villain in an X-Men movie. Yeah. He's the guy who
0: brings in the Sentinels. Yeah, it's like
1: how they never showed Jaws for the (laughs) longest time in the movie and he just got scarier and scarier. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, not looking forward to him. So, maybe we can avoid that. That would be nice. Mm -hmm. I would like that.
0: Uh, So... I'm trying to think if there's any way we can get back to Faustus good here. I don't know that there yeah. is. I think it's all that cynicism that just rings
1: through into the movie. Well, exactly. So I think so watching that movie again, it, you know, in today, in in the new day, basically mm-hmm. what 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 makes it so relevant and the reason I think, you know, everybody should just find it and give it, and and give it a look is that this has always always been going on and it's exactly what you said just because you think it's as bad or as ridiculous or as absurd as it is it doesn't mean it's not it's not going to be something coming down the pipe that is just as ridiculous or bad or absurd Um, and obviously if it was happening in this movie at the time then it'll be happening you know forever in the foreseeable future until we kind of we have to change a whole system I think
0: I was going to ask I'm The closing question on the podcast is always the same, which is, what of this film have you used or borrowed? Is there anything that you've absorbed into your own creative DNA? But you've made an almost existential sports drama now, and I've been trying to figure out how to get that in there, because um, Goalie seems to me to be using the tropes of the biopic and the sports movie against themselves, because there's no celebration. It's all about the, the physical and emotional damage that this man... A cruise in his career mm-hmm. and and that predates it even it's the, the stuff that motivates him is the stuff that does him the most damage the most yeah. harm and there aren't a lot of laughs in, in goalie, but there is a sense of um, of intention that kind of feels like Faustus Bidgood in the in the taxi sequences the 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 cutting yeah, back maybe. and
1: forth yeah um i think that I don't know if I don't know. I I think it's more ethereal almost than that in that is that is that Faustus Big Good taught me to be brave and say something. And with goalie, I mean, obviously I think what I wanted to say, what we wanted to say is 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 not necessarily a revolutionary statement, but more that, um, you know, that that probably happiness comes from within, that you know, celebrity doesn't necessarily make you happy, um, and that you know, that but 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 yes, the there is a bit of a kind of a surrealist thing going on in there, I didn't really think of it really? like that. I mean I don't really I, I, I' come I sometimes feel that talking about that aspect of the movie really kind of gives away a lot, but maybe I don't think we're hiding much anyway. It's a biopic
0: yeah <laughs> yeah, it's just it's i I don't know how to prepare people for it i've been I, was, I wrote the review and I'm like, well, what do I say, and what do I hold back? and do you just I guess you just have to tell people that it is not what they think it is. And and it's a like, it's about the 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 endurance and and the damage and the yeah and the self knowledge right like it's not about winning stuff the that moment where, um, when he beats the shutout record,
1: yeah. it's just thrown
0: away because he's in so much pain that it doesn't matter. It just
1: doesn't matter anymore. I know it's. I feel like, I feel like that this man had such sadness in his life that you know the cheering of fans like all you have to do if you want people to love you all you have to do if you want you know to, to get that rush of happiness and pride is stop a puck and he just threw himself in front of it yeah, and with his face knocked out his teeth and you know no anesthetic stitching up it, it breaks my heart actually the, the story of you know mm-hmm. of him and I, I, lo- I really loved the I wanted to explore to you, like, you know, his um, behavior is kind of something um, that, uh, you know, it's maybe not necessarily what we want to imagine in our hero. I mean, one of Canada's absolute heroes. But I think it's really important because I, I do think that he um, suffered so greatly and self medicated and probably had undiagnosed depression and I, I kind of feel like we're looking at these things now we're looking at traumatic brain injury we're looking at concussions and we're looking at how the, they how you, they can affect yeah. people and I, I just feel like um, we also have a little tendency to condemn people so harshly now um, based on behavior but that's not really the way I grew up and I'm not saying the way I grew up was Good because it wasn't, you know. I mean, people getting away with doing bad things is not scarred and damaged a whole bunch of people, sure. But I also don't, I don't, I don't know what I don't know how to stand in a place of virtue and judge other people either, you know what I mean? I can't do that. I'm not, I don't belong, I don't think I'm the moral standard, certainly. And I, so I just wanted to kind of explore him, yeah
0: and I wanted to ask about the poetry too because that's your dad writing yeah
1: <laughs> he <had> the FLQ <laughs> so he because he my dad was it's um, a fascinating contradiction he really had a long he's had a long journey in his life <laughs> <laughs> he went from yeah from uh, military brat to to um, English professor and went from British Columbia to Newfoundland at the same time because he was from a military family and they were stationed all over the place um And, uh, yeah, he just, he says that he flew over Verdun in those just, you know, Canadian crosses and he just wasn't, he wasn't there mentally. He wanted to get on the other side and stuff like that. And then he, then he started writing. It's nothing. My, my, my uncle's, uh, was a NHL play play for the Chicago Blackhawks and, um. And so, yeah, it was nothing that uh, that that the family that he he's from ever really was into writing like that didn't. It wasn't really a career kind of thing. So he, um, but he always I I always call him the manly poet because <laughs> okay. he does write about kind of you know hockey and military.
0: Yeah, you don't get more masculine in this country than Hockey Talk right? yeah like sure
1: and he did he did he wrote a beautiful book he worked really hard he interviewed many many play, people that players ex-players rafts that that new chuck. and when I read it I was absolutely haunted by the story wasn't what I thought it was going to be so I had the same issue as you yeah. it wasn't what I thought it was going to be it was such a multifaceted um, look at a person and look at mortality kind of and just like the highs of people and memory and the lows and I I just yeah so I loved it so my sister and I put it together Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) it's I mean I think you know it's unlike anything the Canadian sports movie fan will have seen and I'm really curious to see how it plays with people
1: oh you and me both (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean who knows yeah it's hard someone someone asked me the other day they were like so you know it's really hard to make a sports movie there's a lot of bad sports movies you know what do you think i'm like "Uh, i don't know yet (laughs) who knows i don't think i'm in a place to give that kind of advice (laughs) right now so yeah here's hoping
0: My thanks to Adriana Maggs, whose new film, Goalie, opens this Friday, March 1st, in Toronto and Vancouver. You should go see it. It's very good. Thanks also to Cynthia Amston. She knows what she did. You can find Adriana on Twitter at 80 A-D-E-Y underscore M-A-G-G-S, and you can find The Adventures of Faustus Bidgood on YouTube. I know Tiff has a print, anyway. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps, it truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. <sighs>